Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. So, Kayla, where are you taking us today? And who is at the epicenter? (laughs) Okay. Disclaimer, we came up with the idea for this podcast before the current political situation in the Ukraine. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going to Russia. Actually, Mm. well, we're going to London in 1978. But Russia is really at the center of the story. All righty. So... What are some of the players and the terms that we should familiarize ourselves with? Okay. Yeah. We should familiarize ourselves with the KGB, which is in English, the Committee for State Security. And basically, it was the primary security agency for the Soviet Union between 1954 and 1991. It was similar to the Department of Homeland Security that we have here in the U.S., But the KGB's main goal was to eliminate whispers of dissent and anti-communism. So they were much more about eliminating people that they saw as enemies of the state. I don't know much about the Department of Homeland Security. Maybe they're more offensive than we know about. But the KGB was like, in your face, like, don't say anything bad about Russia and don't say anything bad about the president of the Russian Federation. Got it. America's first CIA director actually once said of the KGB, it is more than a secret police organization, more than an intelligence and counterintelligence organization. It is an instrument for subversion, manipulation, and violence for secret intervention in the affairs of other countries. The current president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, worked for the KGB as a foreign intelligence officer from 1975 to the end of it in 1991, but it didn't really end because there was the whole thing where... You know, the Russian Federation was broken up, and then Russia became Russia as we know it today. It was no longer the Soviet Union. And so the KGB technically still does exist, but it's called the FSB now. Gotcha. I was going to say my understanding is that it's still a thing. It is still a thing. Even though it's, it's quote, like maybe quietly. I think more quietly than when it was the Soviet Union. Gotcha. So after the Soviet Union fell in 1991, it actually became the FSK, which was the Foreign Counterintelligence Service. For about a year, it was the FSB, and it had the same headquarters as the old KGB in Moscow, and then I think it moved and was still the KGB. So it used to actually be this one building, and so it was very much like characterized by this one building, kind of like how we say the White House. They used to say this one building. Gotcha. And so... What is the Kremlin then? The Kremlin, yeah. So that's the same thing where we'll refer to the White House when we're talking about um, not just where the president lives and works, but like that is the capital of the United States. So the Kremlin is the White House of Russia, essentially. Where all the business happens. Yeah. And it actually... The business of doing business. Yeah. And the word the Kremlin, like its physical location is where the great prince lived. And since 1991, it has been the residence of the president. But it also used to be a religious center in the Red Square of Moscow. Mm. And so it not only refers to this building, but it refers to, like, the heart of the government. With all of that in mind, where the fuck are you taking us? Well, as I've alluded to, the Kremlin and the KGB were very much, like, 
do not say shit about Russia. Do not say anything bad about Russia, and especially don't say something bad about Russia if you're not in Russia, because, you know, it became the federal counterintelligence service. And you don't really have counterintelligence unless you're talking about, like, international affairs. Mm-hmm. And so whether that be people in your own country who are plotting against the country or people outside of your country who are plotting against the country. And so they had actually a major presence in a couple different countries outside of even what was the previous USSR. So were these like embassies or? No, this is just where um, they would send agents to collect intelligence to bring back to Russia. And they would keep they would keep an eye on people who defected out of Russia. And so that's how we get to luncheon. Yeah, got it. So one of these defectors was Georgi Markov. Now, Georgi Markov was actually Bulgarian. He was born in 1929. He became a chemical engineer and a teacher. And when he was born in Bulgaria, it was a part of the Soviet Union. Mm. So it was under the jurisdiction of what is now Russia and the KGB. So in 1954, Todor Shivkov became the leader of Bulgaria. And this is when Georgi Markov defected from Bulgaria. And he started writing plays and satires that targeted the communist regime. Mm, and not, not only, a good idea, my guy. Right. Not only did they target it, but they actually were highly acclaimed and awarded. And so he got a lot of attention for this satire. Mm, I can already tell where this is going. Yeah. Getting on the wrong side of the USSR during the Cold War was like, not the best place to be. No. So he moved to London in 1969, and then he got a job as a commentator on the BBC radio. Well, congratulations to him, but I feel like maybe this is uh, the beginning of the end? Question mark? Definitely put a target on his back more so than just writing satire, because now he was on this like widely distributed radio show. Well, yeah, because he went from making plays very public... And then being a broadcaster, mm-hmm. also very public. Yeah, yes. that is a big target. That's more than just like some guy writing comics at yeah, home. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't just that they were like, okay, <clears throat> we're going to go to Georgi Markov and see what he thinks about, you know, communist factions in London or things like that. His show was actually called Distant Reports About Bulgaria. Oh, no. And it was censored in Bulgaria. Because I wonder why. Right? And so Shivkov ordered Markov to return to Bulgaria because he could be silenced there. But Markov, of course, refused. And he was granted political asylum by Great Britain. And then he was convicted in absentia in Bulgaria. And I think this was a treason or something like that. Treason, libel against the state, something like that. I couldn't figure out exactly what the charge was. That, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. He was, he was, uh... Throwing shade, as the children would say. (laughs) Yeah. But very, very spicy political shade. Right, right. And, like, I didn't want to deep dive too much into the politics as much as I could avoid it. Because, obviously, there's a lot to dig into. There's so many decades of history that I could have, like, started in and then gotten into. But I've already started researching for our our episode that we're going to release two weeks from now. And there is a lot of politics. And I... Wear your tinfoil hat for the next episode because Ooh, my favorite. And it's a ride. I'll I'll make sure to match. I'll make sure to match. <laughs> so so a little bit of politics I do need to talk about here. 
Shivkov and the administrator of the interior gave Markov the code name Wanderer or Vagrant. Mm. And there is a report done in Bulgaria on, quote, the enemy emigrant from, from Bulgaria. And this wasn't just Markov. It was anybody who was emigrating because he was sure. clearly not the only one. No, but he was one who was a BBC commentator <laughs> and, writing, and a playwright. So. Right. And they, so they did this report and they talked about the damaging effects it was having on Bulgaria. Because I'm sure it wasn't good for, like, morale, even though people like Markov were being silenced. Like, I'm sure that there was some ways that they could hear about it and be like, oh, hey, yeah, it's not great here. And so then Shivkov gave another guy permission to enlist the head of the KGB to give, quote, technical support in the killing of Markov. <laughs> I... I am laughing because I think that that is a very nice title for a very dirty job. <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of euphemisms like that. Like, oh, we're just going to give technical support for a direct action. And it's like, you're just... <laughs> we're calling a hit. We're calling a hit. Then Laboratory 12 of the KGB, the infamous chamber of Russia, mm. was ordered to begin inventing new ways to kill people without leaving a trace of the cause of death, which was like their thing. That was all the chamber did since its inception. Sure. We'll get into more of it next episode. They said the more it looked like a heart attack, the better. And that's explicitly what they wanted with Markov was make it look like a heart attack. And so for Markov specifically, because they tailor all of their... Uh, substances for their assass assassinations to their victim. So they, they thought up either a poisoned jelly that could be applied to the skin, poisoning the victim's food or drink, which is a very popular option, sure. or, or shooting the victim with a poisoned pellet. And the chief of Bulgarian intelligence chose the final option, but the lab still got to choose the poison. Well, lucky duckies they are. I know. Fun but day in the chamber. I want to say that I work at the chamber and not like coal chamber band of 90s fame, but this whole poison palette shooting sounds like it's from a spy movie because yes, because reality is stranger than fiction. Yes. Yes. Like, and so it's, it's very intriguing to me. I mean, this is the time when honestly, Russia and the United States both were getting their ideas directly from like Wile E. Coyote cartoons. Like, it I get was it. fucking insane. And actually, right now, the last podcast on the left is actually doing like a five episode series on MK Ultra right now. <gasps> I know. Oh, one of my favorite tinfoil hat wearing conspiracies because, yeah. oh, wait, it's not a conspiracy theory, guys. It actually happened. It actually happened. Yeah. That's, that's the difference that... I think people who are not conspiracy nuts, you know, because like conspiracy theories are fun, but conspiracies yeah. exist. Yeah. And MKUltra existed. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to have to give the rowdy boys, I'm going to have to listen again. They yeah. were, they, they very much got me through the uh, first half of uh, pandemic season one. For sure. For sure. So yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that it's coming out now, but. Yeah, so that's what was happening. So anyhow, the chamber got to choose the poison. And I think that they kind of already had a poison in mind. I think they kind of already were like, let's try ricin. Wouldn't ricin be fun? Like, for a change. <laughs> well, and maybe, and I mean, let let me put on my chamber KGB hat for a second. And I mean, if they told me, like, all right, we're choosing the route of administration, but 
you guys get to choose like of course i'm gonna want to choose something that i don't know a lot about like it's like a fun new toy right yeah yeah like like let's take this new car out for a spin shall we <laughs> so did they know about like so so i guess my question is like did we know ricin was a poison back then? Did we know that it could, how to extract it, et cetera? Was it more just like how to get it into the poison bullet? Ricin is a naturally occurring protein and the plant related to poinsettias actually. And so it's this really leafy plant. It can grow 15 feet in height. It's native to warm and mild climates like the Middle East, North Africa, and India. But it can also grow as an ornamental in places like California now. Oh, and much like poinsettias, they can be dark purple or red in color and uh, death isn't associated with the leaves, but contact dermatitis is. And so mm. early pharmacopoeias, early texts on poisons and antidotes definitely included ricin because they were being written in these places. I mean, the Middle East had right. this golden age of toxicology. And so definitely some of the earliest texts included ricin. Now, ricin grows little beans, and the beans actually resemble pinto beans with their mottled appearance. Okay. So Dioscorides, the Greek writer, he claimed that the plant was named ricinus because the beans resembled a tick of the same name. So they kind of look like a little tick. Oh. They kind of have a little head. Actually, the beans are the same beans that castor oil is extracted from. Like the castor oil that's like a fan favorite of old grandmas to give you when you need to poop or puke. Yes, exactly, gotcha. exactly. And there's no ricin in castor oil because the extraction for castor oil requires heat and that denatures the protein. But you can actually get ricin from like what's left over in the mash. And, and oh. you, you do have to intentionally get it out. People can be poisoned just by eating the beans before you mash them up and try to get castor oil out of them. And a fatal ingestion can be actually as little as two or three beans for a child. So it's pretty, pretty potent Pretty poisonous, stuff. yeah. And then the castor plant is one of the oldest medicines. And so while we knew that ricin was poisonous and that the beans could hurt you, the castor plant has been found in archaeological findings from South Africa. So we know that it was used... 24,000 years ago for a number of things like laxatives, the same thing your grandmother will use it for today. Well, and so this is, again, one of those times where it's very much so the dose makes it poison or makes it medicine. Can I shamelessly plug your book that you're writing? <laughs> that we're writing? Excuse me, you are <clears throat> co-author. <laughs> but do you know what I, but I mean, it it's just so fascinating to me how that that gray line and how it really does go like zero to a hundred mm -hmm. it's helpful it murders you it's very cool but so yes in the 1970s we definitely knew that this was poisonous but it had never been shot into anybody in pellet form so so russia said <laughs> you know what here we fucking go baby let's do this yeah yeah. This straight up like sounds like it's in like spy versus spy if anybody yes. watched Mad TV. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Aged myself there. <laughs> so this first pellet that we decided we were going to shoot into people, the Russians actually shot it into a horse first and the horse died, which says something because it was a horse. It, it, powerful. 
powerful stuff. Yeah. So then the next logical step was to test it on a human subject, which was what the chamber did. They, I mean, obviously weren't averse to testing on human subjects. And so they took a Bulgarian prisoner and injected a pellet in the same way they wanted to inject Markov. And actually, this was kind of neat, not the shooting of the prisoner, but the way that they decided to do it, because Acme was running the show at the time, they decided to create an umbrella that was a gun. And so the umbrella would have a trigger on it that it didn't shoot it. It had a little a little needle that would poke out and then leave the oh. pellet in you and then retract and the pellet would stay. And it would just be like a little pew pew. Oh, yeah. sorry, my umbrella poked you and now you're going to die. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Keep this detail in mind. Okay. Okay. I mean, it does seem like it's out of a comic book, a video, like very inspired by like just, like you said, Acme, Looney Tunes, shit. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe the umbrella was the go, because there's this part of me that like wanted to be like, why not a cane? But I could see how somebody could fumble with their umbrella and be like, oh, my bad, easier than like a blind person. Or, or, or somebody who is like, yeah, needs a walking assistant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the umbrella might be rumor. It's really hard to say with a lot of this stuff. Like this week, not as much. This week, there's a lot of facts to back up what happened to Georgie Markov and how we got there. But just with a lot of the stuff that happened behind the scenes, it's like, I don't know. Is it fact? Is it fiction? How did we get here? So Georgie well, Markov will say later on, like the guy who he thinks hit him in whatever fashion did have an umbrella but we don't know that the umbrella was the weapon you know we just kind of think that that was the weapon well and especially with russia they're so good at and i say good just as in like they do a job well Mm -hmm. good not as morally good but they they're they're very good at misinformation and Mm -hmm. spinning tales and very good at deliberate misinformation so it's almost one of those things where it's like a misdirect like you're a magician and being like yeah we used umbrellas and now they their technical support never uses umbrellas because they're like nah we're using canes yeah yeah it's 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 hard to say but i definitely could i mean i could see it i i have the visual yeah it's a great visual yeah yeah this prisoner that they injected into i want to continue with him for just a second He said that he felt like he was stung by a bee, and then he realized, oh, shit, I'm in a communist prison, and the KGB just came in and hit me with something. He knew that this was his death sentence, which is, like, an awful, inhumane way to get a death sentence. But even though he became hysterical and was like, holy fucking shit, what did you shoot me with? How am I going to die? This guy didn't actually die because the, the pellet failed to release the poison. And so, back so did to- it just like go in and then it just like didn't disperse or whatever mm-hmm. it was supposed to or dissolve however it was gonna oh. yes yes and so it was back to the drawing board to make sure that they <laughs> didn't fail with markov i bet that guy was sweating balls up. <laughs> yeah. yeah i bet mm. so in Damn. 1978 georgie markov began receiving phone threats in london and he mentioned them to his co-workers at the bbc like, but he, he didn't really take them seriously. He was just like, I'm a, you know, Bulgarian de- defector and I'm getting phone threats. Like, kind of just something that happens. And sure. I'm sure his friends in London were like, is it though? 
Is that a thing that happens? Is that a thing that... But by the summer, Markov felt the threats were becoming more serious and severe. And mm. so the last threat apparently was, quote, you will not become a martyr. You will simply die of natural causes. You will be killed by a poison that the West cannot detect or treat. Uh, yikes. Yeah, I, I would be sweating a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's, what's the subreddit that I, oddly specific? <laughs> like, oddly, like, that's more than like, huh, your refrigerator's running. Like, yeah. that kind of phone call to be like, uh, weird flex, but okay. And now I'm scared? Yeah. Mm, yeah. I don't love it. I don't love it. So, on Zhivkov's 67th birthday, September 7th, 1978, Markov was waiting for the bus to go to work and was standing at the Waterloo Bridge bus station when he suddenly felt a pain in his right thigh. He saw a large man bend down behind him and pick up an umbrella. And the stranger said, sorry, with a thick accent and then got into a taxi, but Markov never saw his face. He told his co-workers about the incident when he got to work, and he was okay while he was at work, but that evening he noted redness and swelling on the back of his thigh where he'd felt the pain that day, and then he developed a high fever that night and was admitted to the St. James Hospital in Balham the next day after he began vomiting blood. Mm, not a good sign. Upon admission, an examination showed that there was a puncture mark in the back of his leg that was approximately two millimeters in diameter. So I, tiny as fuck. Teeny tiny, teeny tiny. And I wanted to say this earlier, but the, the reason that you can eject this pellet with a syringe, or that's the theory, is that it's not like a BB gun pellet. It's super, super small. It's a very small pellet. I guess in my head, before you gave the size... I was really envisioning like long, thin, cylindrical. Mm, mm -hmm. So, but it sounds like this was more like a two millimeter like ball. It's more like a ball. Yeah. More like a ball. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Now, originally doctors thought that Markov had developed blood poisoning and septicemia from some kind of bacterial infection. Like he'd gotten jabbed by something, by this umbrella, and there was bacteria on it, and that's what was happening. Mm. I mean, that's a logical conclusion, right? Yeah. Because you're, I mean, Occam's razor, usually the most obvious answer is the right one. Like, mm -hmm. nobody at the ER or at the hospital is going, you know what? I bet that it was a Russian technical support <laughs> who came to poison. Oh, you know what God. I mean? Yeah. Even, even if... Even if they knew about the f weird phone calls he was getting, yeah, it's one of those things where you don't immediately go there. Right. Well, and especially not in the mm. hospital. I don't know how much he was able to tell mm. the doctors. Communicate them in between puking up blood. Right. And so Markov sure. died four days mm. later on September 11th, 1978. He was only 49, and he died from massive heart and organ failure. Oh. And I, I think that maybe his wife was like, this doesn't make sense. A bacterial infection doesn't make sense. But also because they knew Markov's background and, you know, Markov had told his co-workers about the incident at the bus station and the threats, Scotland Yard ordered that he receive a full autopsy at a public mortuary in London, mm. which was a good call because otherwise they might not have seen anything. Right. So the medical examiner noted fluid in his lungs, which is common with heart failure, but they also noted small hemorrhages dotting all of his organs. Oh. His liver showed signs of poisoning, but there were no substances detected in the toxicology report. And his blood work showed high white blood cell counts, as though he had been fighting a bacterial or viral infection, or maybe there was, like, drug toxicity. But it was still, like, 
okay, maybe it was a bacterial infection. Some things point to that. We have indication that there was heart failure, but what is this liver stuff and what are all these hemorrhages from? Like that doesn't line up with a bacterial infection. Yeah. I mean, since we're talking about it, mm-hmm. spoiler <laughs> alert, I'm guessing it's a poison. Well, we've already given away what poison the Russians were messing with. Damn so, so Damn it. the site of Markov's injury was then taken after or probably during the autopsy and examined. And a pellet that was approximately a millimeter and a half in diameter, which is smaller than a pinhead, was found in his tissue. Probably a watchmaker's bearing. And I'm not familiar with those, but that's what they think it was. Okay. But it was modified so that it had two tunnels drilled through it in an X shape. And so one this way and one this way. And there was like a chamber in the center. Oh, fancy pants. The chamber. chamber. Hey, the chamber was busy making a chamber. (laughs) And there were no poisons found in the pellet, but doctors suspected that it contained a toxin that then dissipated into Markov's body. So they really did make some headway between the horse poisoning, the prisoner, and Markov. And Markov, yes. And and you you probably said this, but I am a Gemini space cadet. Do, how much time do we know? Do we know how much time lapsed roughly between when the chamber started testing on the horse and when Markov? I'm not sure. A couple months, I think. I think it was all in 1978. Yeah, they were busy, and they had all of their top guys working on this. It sounds like. I think so. Yeah, I think Markov was a big pain in the ass. Yeah, it sounds like they were like, "No, I'm gonna need this to go to the top of your list, please." But there's even more that happened in between the horse and Markov. Oh, so tell. They did eventually determine that the poison was ricin and that the pellet had probably been coated in something to contain the ricin and then dissolved upon being heated to body temperature. Very clever, right? Right. But they only were able to jump to all of these conclusions that you could only reasonably get to by watching Looney Tunes or by having seen it before. Oh. Yes. And so they they had seen this before in the case of Vladimir Kostov, a Bulgarian immigrant living in Paris and working for Radio Free Europe. They they really got to get these guys out of the news and out of radio. It's <laughs> like note to any dissidents, don't <laughs> Don't go on the air. Wait, what are we doing? Uh, Cut the feed. So the Bulgarian Secret Service was also after Kostov and had given him the codename Judas. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because he once worked as a Bulgarian intelligence officer. Two weeks prior to Markov's assassination, Kostov was waiting for a train and a Paris metro station when he felt a pain in his back. Now, he went to the doctor within hours, and the doctor thought he had been stung by a wasp. Kostov later developed a high fever that evening, uh, and the area that he'd felt the pain in was inflamed, you know, irritated, swollen. So -hmm. he went to a different doctor, and this doctor did not think this looked like a wasp sting. But they couldn't really do anything. We were like, they were like, I don't know what it is. You are inflamed, but I'm not sure what this is. Now, Kostov was lucky because his fever eventually went away and he got better. And after Markov's death, he went to the French authorities for his incident to be further investigated. He was taken into protective custody and given a more thorough medical exam, and x-rays showed that there was still a metal pellet between his rib and the skin of his back. Ow. So the entire area, so an area about the size of a quarter, actually, was removed and analyzed in England, and this pellet was identical to Markov's and had a sugary wax on the surface. Okay. 
And Kostov's blood work actually showed traces of antibodies to ricin, meaning that he'd been exposed to a little bit. So a little bit of that wax had come off and let the ricin get into his body, but his body had been able to fight it off. Because it was such a small amount. Yes. It wasn't the like full intended yes. amount. Oh, how intriguing. Yeah. How intriguing. It's good for Kostov. Because sure. at the time, there was no antidote to ricin. And I actually shouldn't even say at the time. There is no antidote to ricin. It's 2022 oh. and there's no antidote to ricin. So this was the best case scenario. Was that it just didn't deploy, so to speak. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. We've talked about how this sounds like fiction, how it sounds like a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. And I, I would understand if people were listening and they were like, you need to get off of Reddit and Wikipedia. Although I did have pretty good sources for most of this. But the reason that I can say a lot of this episode with a great amount of certainty is because of documents. They actually mm. had documents about this whole thing, which is like, don't create a paper trail for your assassinations. But they definitely did because it was the government, right? I mean, well, just kind of like how we have in America the Freedom of Information Act or FOIA requests. Like, that's how, I mean, MKUltra. I mean, a lot of the information that exists out there mm -hmm. is redacted and blackbarred, but a lot of it is not. And right. so it's one of those things where it's like, it, I mean, there's proof. There's proof. Is what you're saying. And there's so like, the, there's legitimate proof. Yes. And there wasn't necessarily in 1978. There was a lot mm. of questions. Markov was survived by his wife and I think a daughter. And they did not have a whole lot of answers. They had their suspicions because of his history, his background, but they didn't have a lot of answers. Mm. Until in 1989 when the USSR fell and Bulgaria was no longer under Soviet rule. In 1990, there was a widespread destruction of records before the new government took over. But in 1992, a new suspect was discovered from some of the records that remained. So, Do tell. a Danish national of Italian descent named Francesco Guilino was working as an antiques dealer in Copenhagen. And I know this sounds like the start of a bad joke, but stay with me. <laughs> Guilino admitted to working for the secret police under the code name Piccadilly, nice. but denied involvement in the Markov assassination. But he was the only Bulgarian spy known to be in London at the time of the assassination. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> I know, I know. Italian, Danish, Bulgarian spy. <laughs> so the Who reason... was in London <laughs> at the time, but definitely wasn't the guy. Not suspicious at all. At all. At okay. all. Don't so, be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> the reason that this guy had been recruited by the secret police is because they'd caught him smuggling drugs into Bulgaria twice mm. and then convinced him either because of his line of work or maybe they threatened his life like, don't you dare fucking smuggle drugs. Now you're going to work for us. I have no idea. I don't pretend to know how this works. They convinced him to commit espionage for them under an alias they provided so that he could feed them information from West Europe into the, you know, previous Eastern Bloc. I just, if you caught him smuggling drugs twice, I know. I know. why would you make him a spy? I know. It's kind of like... Like, do you um, know what I'm saying? Like, why? Yeah. What What's the saying? Like, there's no honor amongst thieves or something like that? There... 
Right, but there is. <laughs> there, I note. mean, there is. Like, I don't want to paint everyone with that brush, but it's no, also but... when you find somebody trying to, like, go against your laws sure. twice, are they your friend? Right. <laughs> well, are they your friend? And then it's like, I mean, I understand the whole, like, blackmailing, just like how, like, cops get somebody who, like, yeah. had a dime bag of weed. Right. Like, it, it, you know what I'm saying? To, like, turn state's evidence or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. But also, like, maybe find a better spy. <laughs> Anyhow. So, sorry. Okay. So, Guilino Piccadilly has denied involvement in the Markov assassination. But he did make a good point in 2013. He's quoted as saying, I'm sorry. I wish I could give you a straight answer. But think for a moment. If I was, if I were the murderer... Do you think I should just say it? The man has a good point because, I mean, I don't know if they have anything like the Fifth Amendment, but I sure as fuck wouldn't go, yes, I I crimed all over the place. I murdered everyone ever. I am also a spy. <laughs> right. And I smuggle drugs. Take me away, boys. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I, he's not wrong. Yeah. He's not mm-hmm. wrong. And also, like, did they think that they would just be able to ask him? Like, like, did they really think that he'd be like, you know what? I did it. I did it, guys. <laughs> All you had to do was ask, and I have to tell the <laughs> truth. There is a good chance that if Guilino was assigned to kill Markov, he wasn't working alone. Probably not, because he can't even smuggle drugs on his own. <laughs> he wasn't close to Markov, and there's a good chance that if he was just sent to London to kill Markov after seeing a photo, he could have gotten the wrong person. Very true. So the British Security Service thinks that there has to have been another person involved in any case, if it was Guilino, if it was like two other individuals. And they think that that person was actually probably a plant at the BBC so that they could watch Markov and other dissidents. Mm, I mean, that makes that makes more sense. Right. Now they're they're thinking with their big brains. <laughs> so a likely candidate for this role was a guy named Vladimir Semyonov, who was another Bulgarian broadcaster at the BBC. His real name was Vladimir Bobchev, and he was found dead 20 days after Markov's assassination and two days after being questioned by Scotland Yard about the Markov assassination. Not only that, but he was found dead in his home, and his last movements were that he worked a night shift and then took a taxi home, where he should have been alone. Yeah, destroy all evidence, (laughs) uh, including people. I mean, they really did say, when in Rome, (laughs) or England, whatever, kill all the dissidents, kill all traces of this ever, except for maybe... Mr. Piccadilly. And I mean, maybe it is that he wasn't involved and that's why he's still alive. Right, and that's why he, that's what I was just going to say. Maybe, maybe he is. And maybe he just threw in that like, do you think I'd tell you just for shits and giggles? Because that sounds like something I'd do. Well, also because it is like kind of a stupid question. It, I mean, it is. Like, honestly, like, it just reminds me of, like, every bad cop drama where they're like, where is he? Where is he? Or where are the drugs? Where are the drugs? And then, like, oh, yeah, I put them, um, they're in the toilet at the Conoco. Right. Like, you got me, coppers. <laughs> Come on, guys. So, so did they do any autopsies or anything for this Bob Chev? 
Yeah, they definitely looked into his death because it was the second death of a Bulgarian immigrant in the UK in a month. So Scotland Yard, they're actually their anti-terrorist branch got involved. Yeah. Really big guns. Yeah, they were like, this is not good. So the coroner's court pronounced that Bob Chev's death was accidental and he had simply fallen down the stairs and choked to death on his own blood. (laughs) Right? I mean, sure that happens, but come on, guys. Right. And a lot of people did find this investigation insufficient, especially considering the other unusual points in the death. Like, he had just gotten home from a night shift and took a, taken a taxi home on his own, but there were two glasses found in his sink without any fingerprints, and Bob Chev didn't drink. So all of a sudden, on a night after work, he goes home and is like, you know what? I'm going to drink myself silly. I'm going to And by silly, I mean to death. And yeah. I'm double fisting and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, sure. They further investigated that. They were like, well, was he drinking that night? And toxicology actually didn't find anything in Bob Chev's system. But how could it... Like, beyond ethanol, how could they have known what to look for? And that's very true. And I mean, and it goes back to that whole, like, we're going to poison you with something that Western science can't find. Like... So, so I guess my question for you is then, like, at this point in time in history, were there things such as, quote-unquote, full panel toxicology reports? So I tried looking into the history of that, and it was kind of hard for me to, like, to find it. Just, like, I wasn't sure what keywords to use. Sure, um, sure, sure. I couldn't find a whole lot of, like, meta history about toxicology. I do know that they were doing toxicology at the time, so you could probably get blood alcohol level. I would assume you could get barbiturates maybe, but I don't know what a full panel consisted of. But in right. either case, it wouldn't they wouldn't have been looking for ricin. They That's what I was have... just going to say. They probably yeah. like I think like was the only reason they really found the ricin with with Markov because of the severe organ damage and failure. Was that why they looked so deep into it and eventually or it, well, I guess they looked into it more when they found that weird pellet. Yeah, so when they found the pellet, when they found the organ damage, and they were like, this doesn't seem consistent, and then when they had Kostov. And so I'm Mm. not sure how they were able to determine it because of Kostov, Mm -hmm. but maybe it was sent to some national lab or something that had a wider range. Because, again, we did know about ricin for a long time, so maybe there was something that we had that pointed to ricin. Gotcha. Yeah. In 2008, the statute of limitation for Markov's assassination expired in Bulgaria, and the case was closed 35 years and one day after his death. The case is still open in Great Britain, but Bulgaria is just like, well, statute of limitation ended. And they're, yeah, they're probably like, "Mm, okay, okay, yep, close this one up, shut it, right? shut it forever. And I mean, it's disappointing it's disappointing that murder charges even have an expiration date, but it's open somewhere, so I guess yeah. that's something. Yeah. So has ricin been used to explicitly kill slash murder people before this? I would say probably yes. I don't actually know, and that's because it's been around for so long. Right. So, so, it's, so it's like, I mean, the likelihood of it. Likely, yes. And I mean, we didn't first extract pure ricin and say, ah, this is ricin. This is what this substance is until 1888. Mm. We knew about it in castor oil before then. But in 1888 was the first time that we actually isolated it. 
And during World War One, ricin was considered as a weapon of mass destruction, if if that was a thing. Oh. I mean, it was it was considered a weapon of you know for the, this chemists' war that we were having. Right, right, right. But it wasn't a good choice and wasn't actually deployed because ricin can't tolerate temperatures over 176 degrees Fahrenheit, and so they couldn't really like explode it. It doesn't disperse well, like mustard gas or something, and there was no antidote. So there was no way to disperse it and then whoever was on your side, like, be okay afterwards. Right, like, it's basically going to kill anybody it touches. Right, and so there's a good chance that there are some labs out there or some, some people with some sort of criminal intent against another person who have, but on the record, I don't actually know. Okay. This is definitely one of those things that if it can be weaponized, it has or and or will be, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, in World War One, we considered using it. And then, I mean, we kept, we, we kind of kept it in the back of our minds just because it is so toxic that we were like, this could be useful. And so the U.S. military experimented with like powders that you could inhale. Uh, Iraqi military put it in artillery shells in the 1980s, which again, probably didn't do anything because it probably heated mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. shells. It was used to kill Markov, as we know. I mean, Ricin has been used in in terrorist threats, and so ricin was detected in 2003 and 2004 in a postal facility. Mm. If any of the millennials out there remember when ricin and anthrax was being, I was just going to say, I remember anthrax, and I and I, so I'm sure, and it was around the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that mailroom actually went to the U.S. Senate then majority leader, and so he got some ricin sent to him. Uh, A letter was sent to the rice the White House with ricin. There was a militia group in Minnesota that tried to utilize it. So it has attempted to be used as far as its efficacy. I don't really think that anyone besides Markov that I'm aware of has actually been successfully killed with ricin just because it's not super stable. Like you have to literally inject it into somebody or get them to eat it, you know? Right. And it's one of those things where it's like, it seems like it would be hard to extract and make. So that's a a barrier for entry, number one. And barrier two, like you said, is the route of administration is very important. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that a militia group from Minnesota is bright enough to figure it out. Sorry, I said it. Yeah. Sorry. Nothing against Minnesota, more so the militia groups. Well, I mean, that militia group was trying to do the whole, like, mix it with DMSO and put it on door handles, but... Ricin can't be absorbed dermally. And well, and that's just, that reminds me when we were, remember when we were talking about with White Oleander for the Patreon episode, like they went to go get that stuff that they was going to put it on the door handle or whatever. And it's Mm -hmm. like, no, see, I I understand why you think that that might work, but. Yeah, you really have to, not that I'm trying to tell militia leaders what to do, but like you have to know. Like, how it actually you're can with. get into the body. Otherwise, you're just doing random crap. Well, right, because then at that point, you might as well be using, like, sawdust, right? Yeah, and that I mean, might but- that honestly might work even better because, like, some, some wood is treated with arsenic. I shouldn't say this, but some wood's treated with arsenic. So if you mix DMSO with sawdust, it might be more effective than mixing it with ricin. <laughs> Hey, remember the disclaimer was, Lethal Dose Podcast is not responsible for any murders, deaths, or anything attributed to, not including, but definitely, definitely don't, guys. Remember yeah. the talk we have? This is don't, an edutainment podcast. Don't use this information. Be careful for, for with your evil. treated wood. Don't. And 
Be careful with your search history. <laughs> Mine is so fucked. <laughs> I know. I know. So what are the symptoms of rice and poisoning before we get to that whole total organ failure part? <laughs> As we were just discussing, it, it heavily depends on the route of administration. Mm. So if you have an intravenous or intermuscular injection like Markov, you can end up with lesions on the spleen, liver, and kidneys, but mm. strangely not the lungs. So the lungs are kind mm. of isolated from this. When administered in this way, you first get weakness that occurs within five hours. So there is this like delayed onset. And then you get your sepsis-like symptoms. And so he was thought to have septicemia at first. And this includes fever, headache, dizziness, vomiting, hypotension. And five hours is actually an early onset for it. It can mm. be delayed by, delayed by as many as 10 to 12 hours. And that almost, to me, makes it kind of an attractive poison, right? If you're, mm -hmm. like, using it for assassinations. Because say you're on the bus or the street and then you get that prick and you're like, ow, that fucking hurt. What's weird? Like, if you got immediately sick right away. Right. You, there's a direct correlation. There's a direct correlation. There are going to be witnesses, whatever, whatever. And so if it has that delay it's definitely going to be easier for whoever the umbrella holder may be yeah. to get the fuck out of Dodge if they were smart. Exactly, exactly. So this is Bob a very lucrative one for the chamber. Right. right. And then after after the sepsis-like symptoms, you end up with death from multi-system organ failure like Markov. And there's little data known about an LD50 for humans for this route of administration. It doesn't happen often. It hasn't really been tested. So we just don't know about it. Yeah, that whole human testing being frowned upon really <laughs> fucks with our LD50s on this show, my guy. Right. <laughs> Dark humor, human testing, not cool. Right. We do not Animal support Animal testing, it. also not cool. We don't support it. <laughs> we don't support it. But I like to have the LD50. It just gives an interesting point of, you know. Yes. Point of, yeah. I, well, and I just, and data is beautiful, and it's always, I love quantifiable things, and so it frustrates me when I don't have the data. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow. If inhaled, because ricin can be dispersed in the air, it just doesn't spread as far as, say, mustard gas. So gotcha. If inhaled, most of the damage will occur in the respiratory system, as would be expected. And this causes difficulty breathing, coughing, fever, and edema. And so what is edema actually? Because my mom recently got diagnosed with lymphedema. Mm -hmm. And that's basically where her lymph nodes get swollen and plugged up. Mm -hmm. And they don't release the fluid that your lymph nodes try to get rid of it's Am exactly that yeah nice so edema not is for just... my mom but nice <laughs> edema is just trapped excess fluids and so you can gotcha. end up with pulmonary edema like especially when you have pneumonia it's just water that sits in the lungs or yeah. fluid rather that sits in the lungs but yeah that's yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. what it is nice okay anyhow with the ld50s we do have some animal information so okay animals have been known to develop necrotizing pneumonia and Ooh. necrotizing lymphodentitis within 8 to 24 hours and then death from respiratory failure from a buildup of fluid in the lungs, at, which is actually similar to mustard gas because it causes your cells to burst and fill with fluid. So it causes a buildup of fluid in the lungs and that leads to death. And the LD50 for inhalation in primates is 5 to 15 micrograms per kilogram. 
And I know that that's very, very hard to visualize because no, anything, small. anything in micrograms, I was trying to like find a pill or something that I could put on social media to be like, this is micrograms. But we fill, we fill pills that have microgram amounts with just filler so that you're, you don't lose a pill that's teeny, teeny, tiny, you know? Well, right. And it reminds me, if you all follow us on social media, on TikTok, like one of our bigger videos was about the fentanyl versus heroin and exactly. the amounts. Yeah. Is that kind of where like micrograms might play in with like how tiny that amount of fentanyl was? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Even, though, like, even that, I don't know that that's on the scale of micrograms. Micrograms really? is even smaller than that. Yeah. Okay. So the only thing I could come up with is LSD tabs, which I do not have personal experience with. So excuse me if I'm talking out of my ass. This is what I found on the internet. LSD tabs come, in, you know, on little tiny sheets that you may have seen on the internet when you're looking up drugs and shit, as one does. <laughs> um, and they have doses of 20 to 150 micrograms on those teeny tiny sheets of blotter paper. Gotcha. So what I'm saying is on those teeny tiny fits on the tip of your pinky blotter paper, that's how much you could inhale of ricin and potentially kill a primate. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. that's... So it's, it's messing shit up. Also, side note... Necrotizing pneumonia, if we ever start a metal band, <laughs> love the ring of that. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so if eaten, if uh, you ingest it orally, most of the damage will occur in the gastrointestinal tract. Uh, ricin is a toxalbumin, and toxalbumins cause severe irritation of the throat and stomach, and so it'll just burn all the way down. Kind of like lye, actually. Like the stuff that they made the soap with in Fight Club? Yeah. Nice. That, nice. that paints a picture. <laughs> but a more delayed response of more severe symptoms has been reported. Not as much as with the intramuscular intravenous administration, but two to six hours after ingestion, the victim can experience bloody vomiting and diarrhea. Oh, and I hate this phrase, sloughing of the stomach and bowel tissues. Fever, mm -hmm. <laughs> drowsiness, and lowered blood pressure. Okay, I'll take those over the sloughing of my gastrointestinal tract, Alex. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks. And then two to, <laughs> two to five days after exposure, the victim will have damage to the liver, central nervous system, kidneys, and adrenal glands. An estimated fatal dose in humans, which is only able to be estimated because of eating seeds, eating the rice and beans. And this is, you know, it varies because of the size of the beans and whatever. It's approximately 1 to 20 milligrams per kilogram. So that's roughly 5 to 10 beans for an average size adult. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a potent one. It is. It is. As far as how it acts on the body, it inactivates the ribosomes in the body, and these are the particles that synthesize protein for ourselves, so kind of fucking important. Uh, it can inactivate 1,500 ribosomes per minute. That sounds like a lot. It's I a don't lot. know how many ribosomes I have working at any given moment, but 1,500 <laughs> sounds like a fucking lot it's a every lot. minute. It's a lot. And so I think that's part of, like... It is a lot compared to the rest of the body. It's not much, but I think that's part of maybe why there's the delay is that it, it gets to work and it's this slow thing. And then it's just like suddenly you have a lot of them not working, you know? Well, and that um, quickly 90,000 in an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's going to fuck you up. That's going to fuck up my ribosomal activity. Right. And for people who are like, 
Sure, I have a lot of them, but I don't know what a ribosome is. This uh, leads to cell death on its own. It can just kill mm. your cell. But if this ricin penetrates the gooey center of the cells, or if you imagine what the animal cell looks like from yep. school, where it yep. has the mitochondria, if it gets into the goo surrounding the mitochondria, it can cause death of the cell immediately. No more power in the house. No more power in the house. Yeah. And so right. because of this, no matter the route of administration, death from ricin ingestion or ricin administration can occur between three to six days after exposure. It's delayed onset, And it sounds but like a painful death. death. Oh, yeah. It sounds very – I mean, total organ failure, not a good time. Yeah. But an interesting thing about ricin administration is mm. that if you take a bean – and you swallow it whole and the skin is not penetrated, it can actually pass through your whole system without releasing the ricin, and you could potentially be completely unharmed. So super interesting, and a visual that comes to mind is when a drug mule swallows oh, the balloon of drugs, <laughs> Uh huh. and that goes one of three ways. Mm -hmm. You get pinched by the fuzz is, is number one, Number two is that you pass the drugs and you get to go fishing in the toilet and then you have said drugs after they went in and then went out the poop chute. And door number three is it bursts in your stomach and you're not going to have a good time. Right. No, that, that is an apt analogy. But the reason I bring this up is not because I am trying to come up with a new challenge for people to do or anything. <laughs> oh, my God, please, for the love of God, no. But um, for this reason, because you can do this with rice and beans, when I began searching researching for this episode, I confused ricin with the calabar bean because this is another bean with a poisonous protein that can pass through the system without harming or seriously injuring you. And it was used for um, trial, by, trial by ordeal. Oh. Yeah. And so just hold on to that phrase because we definitely want to talk about it for another time. But in the future, you can come back to this episode it, and be like, oh, yeah, I did. I understand why you got those two confused. So Well, and I, can, I kind of have a guess as to what that is. Is it kind of like Russian roulette except for you spin the oh, twist and you're like, which one are maybe, we going to get? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fun Yikes. stuff. It's fun Yikes. stuff. All right. What does one do if you are poisoned with ricin and you're fortunate enough, not like Markov, but you know, like, oh, fuck, I was poisoned with ricin. Like, what do you do? What okay. do you do? Yeah. So since there's no antidote, there is no antidote. If exposure can't be avoided, if it's already in you, then you want to get it off of you or out of you as quickly as possible. And mm -hmm. so mostly they just give you you know, medical care to minimize the effects. And so they don't want you to be dehydrated, things like that. You, it depends on, it does, of course, depend on the route of administration. And so if you had it administered intravenously, it won't affect the lungs. If you inhaled it, sure. it will affect the lungs. And so that sure. has to be taken into account. You might get intravenous fluids to keep you hydrated. You might get medications to avoid having a seizure, to avoid having that hypotension. They might have their stomachs flushed and treated with activated charcoal. If mm. it's been recently ingested, they might be able to, you know, grab Massage that. Massage it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's messed up how poisonous ricin is. It's messed up how we don't have an antidote for it. And yet castor oil is like... Not, a thing, a big thing. Yeah, and it's not totally innocuous, but we don't think of it as a poison, even though we're like, it's a laxative. And that's definitely like 
a response your body has to an irritant or a toxin. Right, because it's your body saying yeet. Yeah. Yeet is the 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 poisonous. Right. Yeah, we're we're led to believe that like it's at least a mild poison, if not just not a poison. For castor oil, that is. Castor oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, in the nineteen sixties it was really common to just like get a spoonful as like yeah. a digestive type thing. Oh yeah. I've I've literally had spoonfuls of castor oil and mineral <laughs> oil. Like I can like picture it, right? And like and feel it in my bones and in my tummy. It's a bad time, grandma. Stop it. But I did want to mention that castor oil also has its own dark history. Oh, really? Do tell. In the 1920s, Mussolini had his men pour castor (gasps) oil down the throats of dissidents, which gave them severe diarrhea. Not a good time. And so, like, he wasn't killing people, but it's just this weird punishment. It's definitely torture, yes. Like, like, as a hot girl with IBS, this is torture. Yeah, I'm going to make you violently shit yourself. Yeah, that's torture. And, like, embarrassing and just, like, he's hitting a lot of nails right on the head with that one. Mm -hmm. Big yikes. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to say was avoid ricin because we don't have an antidote. Um, Right. It's not fun to play with. Avoid castor oil if you can. But according to the Scientific American... Uh, there is a company that is developing a vaccine against ricin, but it's in oh. the it's in the early trials. It hasn't been approved by the FDA, and it could theoretically be given to poisoning victims under an emergency use authorization, sure. which we're all familiar with at this point. Right. Uh, so yeah, and it works by stimulating the body in advance of an attack to produce antibodies. So much like Markov <gasps> experienced. Right, right, because he had just that small dose, mm-hmm. and his body was able to fight it off. So if he had this ricin vaccine, then how interesting and yeah. timely. Ah, so I wanted to end it on a high note, kind of like an ap- academic journal, like, work for the future. We're looking for a ricin vaccine. and I Way think to that's go. A, that's a higher note than we usually end our, our right? episodes on. And that's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the the point here is that pretty much anything can be used as a poison if we're invested enough, like in the chamber. Right. Yeah. Well, very well said. The dose and I suppose the intent make the poison. Indeed. And if you guys are interested in learning more about Russian poisons, well, 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 put on your tinfoil hat next week because we're taking you on a fucking hell of a ride i'm ready i haven't looked at the i haven't looked at your notes for this one yet so i am excited because i love me my tinfoil hat i love it we will see you all there we're glad to be back and we'll yes see you then. yes we are see you then okay bye Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison. <laughs> <laughs>